0: if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke 4, 1 through 13. That's Luke 4, 1 through 13. I'm
1: going to invite up Jessica Lindauer to read the word. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. So last week, if you weren't here, we have embarked on a series through Luke's gospel. Um, We're going to look at his ministry in the Galilee this fall, and then we'll turn towards his road to Jerusalem in the new year, and it'll all culminate on Easter Sunday with his resurrection in Luke's gospel. And as I mentioned last week, my hope, my prayer is that we would see Jesus afresh, through this series. Um, these are obviously very familiar passages for many of us in this room. And so the hope is that as much as we can, uh, we can take the pictures of Jesus we've accumulated over the years, the categories we've put him in, all the ways that we kind of have figured things out, and, and I'll, I'll try to leave them aside as much as we can and just approach. Luke's account of Jesus, and let the person of Jesus emerge from the passage itself. And I promise you, if, if we do that, he will end up surprising us, and confronting us, and encouraging us, inspiring us, uh, offending us. He'll do all sorts of things. But that's the goal: is to see him as he is, as Luke wants us to see him. Uh, we're spending two weeks. Really, talking about the preparation for Jesus' public ministry. Last week we looked at the baptism, uh, John the Baptist and his story, where the people of Israel were prepared for Jesus. And today we're looking at the temptations where Jesus himself is being prepared for his uh, public ministry. Uh, before I launch into the, the passage, uh, I think two key ideas should shape our understanding of this passage. The first is to make the connection between what's happening in the wilderness and what happened just before at Jesus' baptism. Okay, so back in chapter three, I'll just put it up here for you. Um, we have the account of Jesus being baptized. Uh, when all the people were being baptized, this is by John the Baptist, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So let me put up an artist's rendition of the uh, baptism of Jesus. It's a very glowing, warm rendition, obviously. Uh, let me suggest this is probably the highlight in Jesus' ministry, uh, his life, excuse me, up until this point. Okay? He's been just growing up as a boy in Nazareth and growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God, coming to a sense of who he is, his identity, his role and mission. And then this is this beautiful moment where he actually hears a voice from heaven, his father speaking these wonderful words of affirmation. This is what every son and every daughter wants to hear from their father, right? You're my son. I love you. I am well Pleased with you before Jesus has done any public ministry, he hears this wonderful word from his father, and it's it's a beautiful moment. Um, he's experiencing God's love and, and approval in, in very obvious ways. He actually sees the Spirit coming down. He hears the voice. It's a tangible experience of God's affirmation and affection and blessing. All right. Next scene, Jesus is sent out into the wilderness uh, for forty days. Okay. This is the uh, there's an account of a depiction of Jesus in the wilderness. I think we probably picture this story like having Satan shows up and he's got the pitchfork and he's got the horns, right? And he's having a conversation with Jesus. My guess is if we were actually there, this is all we would actually see. We would just see a man alone in the Middle Eastern desert. Lots of rocks, lots of heat, lots of dryness, lots of cold nights. Um, and a man with heavy thoughts on his mind. That's probably what we would see. And what I want us to see is is in this scene, all the tangible expressions of God's faithfulness and love and approval have been pulled away, been stripped away. That, that, That moment at the baptism, this is precisely the opposite experience of that. It's the wilderness experience. Jesus now looks around after 40 days. There's nothing in his experience that would tell him these words were true, You know, that I am the father's son. And so he has to contend with that. And so Satan comes to him with these words on his lips in two of the temptations. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. And what he's getting him to think about is, well, what does it mean to be the son of God? Gosh, this is a strange place for the Son of God to show up, hungry in the wilderness. That doesn't sound like a very loving father. And he's getting Jesus to think differently about how he can be the Son of God and how he's going he's, he's to fulfill his role in light of where he finds himself in the wilderness, right? Where God's obvious expressions of love and approval have been stripped away. Now, what's it going to mean to be the Son in this situation? So that's the first thing is just to notice the contrast in those two events and what the wilderness then raises for Jesus. Uh, and then the second thing to note is the incredible parallels between Jesus' ex- ex- uh, experience in the wilderness and the nation of Israel's experience in the wilderness. That Jesus' journey is absolutely echoing what Israel experienced thousands of years earlier. So just, I, I know we've talked a lot about this recently, but just to remind you. So God calls Israel out of Egypt. He says, Israel's is my firstborn son. He rescues them. He brings them through the waters of the Red Sea, right? And then they come out into the wilderness for 40 years. It is a time of testing and preparation as they're gonna enter in the promised land. So now also Jesus Thousands of years later, God's Son comes through the waters of baptism, goes out into the wilderness for how many? days 40 not 40 years this time but 40 days and this is a time of testing and preparation for his public ministry In every temptation all three temptations Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan specifically he quotes Deuteronomy 6 through Deuteronomy 8 all three of them come from that small section of the Old Testament and that is a that is a place where Moses is reminding Israel of their time in the wilderness so Jesus is now experiencing the testings, the same exact testings that Israel experienced, the difference being, of course, where Israel failed, Jesus is going to succeed, and he succeeds at every point. The wilderness is a test, okay? Um, you got any, anyone still have taken tests these days? Still, no? Most of us aren't taking tests? Um, I was just talking to someone who's going to get a certification done here soon, who's going to take a test soon. Um, tests, what do they do? Tests reveal the truth of what we know. <laughs> they reveal what's in our minds. Um, this is a test that is intended to reveal what is in his heart and mind. Who is this guy? What's he all about? What's he made of? I think the wilderness is not, all, not just a test. It's also a training. Um, it is a training that is shaping him. It's preparing him. It's disciplining him in the sense of training for the public ministry he's gonna have, right? And I know that we often think of Jesus like, well, he's God, right? So he kind of walks around with a halo and, you know, he kind of floats a little bit above the ground. And all this stuff comes easily for him, right? It's easy. And I want to suggest today that's not the case. Um, That Jesus is also fully human. and, And his heart is being trained. The author of Hebrews says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He has to learn how to obey in the concrete realities of his life. So it's a testing, it's a training. And look at verse 1 for a second. I, I think this is fascinating. Verse one and two create an interesting dynamic. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was, he was tempted by the devil. So what, what you're seeing here is there's some big spiritual forces at work, okay? The first is the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is filled with the Spirit and he's actually led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's not in the wilderness because he's done something wrong. He's there because that's where God wants him. And we can assume that he wants him there because God wants to do certain things in his heart and mind. He wants to train him. He wants to shape him, right? But we also see another spiritual force at work is the devil. The devil is there. And the devil is there to tempt him. The devil's there to try to do harm to him and to take him off the path that his father would want. So you have the same event, the wilderness, two very different purposes at work in that event. God has these deep purposes in it. Satan has the purposes that he would like to see in it, okay? All right, so that's all by way of introduction to the wilderness. But before we look at these three temptations, I, I want to just stop for a second, consider our own, our own experience of the wilderness, our own trials and tribu- tribulations and challenges in life. Um, there's an interesting thought here uh, that I had this week, which is this. Um, how, do we know, how do we know about this story? Like, how did we come to know about, how did this, this story get written down? Because no one was there, right? I mean, Jesus was there and Satan was there. So the reason we know about this story is because at some point, Jesus must have told his disciples, like as he called them and it's at some point he said, hey, I want to talk to you guys. Let me tell you what happened to me uh, in the wilderness. And my assumption is that at least part of why he would have done that is because he wanted to use his own journey as an example for them. As my disciples, you're going to come into these wilderness experiences. You're going to face these kinds of temptations and tests. And so let let my life be an example. And so I think we want to look at this with our own lives in view, that we're going to find ourselves in these times at various times in our lives. And so what I'd love for each of us to do right now is to actually take a minute and just identify like one concrete Wilderness experience, and all by that I just mean one concrete challenge or trial, difficult thing. Ideally, if there's something that you're currently going through, that would be ideal. For some of you, that won't be hard to identify. Some of you may have to go back three to six months to identify something. But I'd love for you to actually identify something in your life right now. Uh, It can be a, 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 a relational conflict you're going through. It can be a season of going through a lack of something, lack of resources. It can be a confusing time where you're not sure what you ought to do. You could be experiencing loss. It could be any number of things, but you're experiencing it as a a hard thing. Um, This is how Scripture talks about our trials. This is 1 Peter. It says, "Uh, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, Of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All that to say, what God was doing in Jesus is the same thing he does in Jesus' followers through challenges. They are tests in the sense of they prove out the genuineness. They reveal, oh, my faith really is true. Look, I walked through this. I came out on the other side still trusting and obeying this is real. It it reveals what's there. Um, And there are also um, trainings, right? As gold is refined, they, of course, they refine us, right? They shape us. Um, It's part of the sanctification process that we talk about. And what I think we can assume is that every time we're in a challenge, there probably are two purposes at work. And you know, why am I in this challenge is a question we may never get an answer to. <laughs> but we can probably guarantee that God has purposes for us in the wilderness time. There's, there's things that he longs to do in us that apparently uh, won't happen outside of the wilderness. There's a deeper intimacy or trust or dependence that he has for us uh, that we may not find when life is just perfect. And then, of course, we can assume that there are, there's, a, there's a darker voice, too, at work. And he would have purposes in it that would take us off course, pull us away from the Father. And I think all of that is important just to remember when we're going through trials. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm going through trials, I don't usually stop back and go, oh, this is the wilderness time. Okay, I'm in wilderness time. That means God has a purpose and Satan has a purpose. I want to choose God's purpose. Mainly what I feel is, oh, this hurts. This stinks. I want to get out of this as quickly as I can. Right? I want to fix this. How can we move through this? What can I do? And so I think it's good just to step back and go, okay, this is, this is one of those moments. And that sets my perspective, at least, in a, in a different place. You with me? Yeah? Okay. So let's walk through each of these temptations. And um, you know this story is not about us. <laughs> this story is about Jesus. So our goal today is to watch him in action But having said that, let's bring our own wilderness journeys along with us as we watch Jesus and have those in the background and then fix our eyes on him. And that's going to have implications for our own stories. All right, so three temptations. I think these pretty much sum up the various kinds of temptations that Jesus probably experienced throughout his ministry. Temptation number one, verse three to four. Let me just read to you verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. All right, I think we can assume that, that Jesus has a sense from the Father he, he's supposed to be fasting right now. Okay, he's not supposed to be eating. So that, that's assumed here. And so um, I don't know if any of you have fasted for 40 days. Um, I, haven't, I haven't recently at least, um, despite my appearance. I have not fasted for 40 days. Um <laughs> But I'm I'm trying to imagine like, okay, what if I were to go away alone in a a sort of deserted place for like three days and not eat, not see people, Uh, and then, okay, that became a week, okay, and then two weeks, and then three weeks, and then four weeks, what that experience uh, would be, what the sense of hunger would be over time. Uh, I imagine it'd be pretty intense. And so, you know, Satan's first temptation just goes right after the, the point of felt need. Like Jesus is just hungry and he goes after that. Hey, you know, you're hungry, feed yourself. You, you can do that. And um, so I'm trying to picture what it would feel like to be Jesus of, of in, in that kind of trial. Char- like God, well, God is not providing for me <laughs> in the way that I would like. And that, when that's sustained, that feeling is sustained over a period of time, how intense that would feel. Like he's really not, I need him to act in a certain way. He's not doing that. I would really love relief from the pain I'm experiencing. And I think especially as the son of God, you know, if you're the son of God, how much the sense of like resentment or entitlement could set in over a sustained trial like, you're the son of God. What's, what's the son of God doing starving in the wilderness? That's no way for a father to treat his son. I mean, what's, what's up with that? Like, hey, this isn't going the way it's supposed to. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm feeling profoundly the pain of that. So the temptation is, hey, if you're the son of God, right, feed yourself. Right? You have the power. You can change this. God is not providing in the way that you'd like to see him. He's not fixing this problem. He's not bringing relief the situation in a way that you'd want. So here's the temptation. So take matters into your own hands. Fix the problem. Bring relief. Feed yourself. Provide for yourself. And of course, provide for yourself in a way that would disobey your father, right? But I think in any trial, we experience that temptation, especially when it's a sustained trial over time. This pain is, is getting harder and harder to carry. And it's this temptation. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out a way out of this. I'm gonna provide relief for myself. I'm gonna take this in my own hands and figure out a way to fix this, but do it in a way that would take me away from what God, from just obedience to God. Jesus' response to this temptation, look at verse 4. Uh, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And that comes from Deuteronomy 8. Let me give you the full quote. Okay? Look at this. This is, again, Israel's experience of hunger in the wilderness. Moses says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? Why? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This is exactly what God is doing through Jesus now. He humbled you, causing you to hunger And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, here's the quote from Jesus, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God was humbling Israel, teaching them dependence on him, for him to provide in his timing, in his way, which ended up being this miraculous provision of manna. And Jesus responds by saying, that's what God is doing to me. He's humbling me. He's putting me in a trial, a a place of total dependence where I'm being forced to trust him, to rely on him and for him to provide for me in his timing, in his way. And that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna trust him to provide. Even though this is painful, I'm not gonna take matters in my own hands. I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna trust him to provide in his way. Man, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Man does not live on bread alone. Jesus saying, hey, you know, I need bread. I do, man lives on bread, but not bread alone. That is not the deepest thing that I crave, that I hunger for, that I desire, Jesus is saying. But the deepest thing is this, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, that I trust in his word, that I follow his word, that is the thing that I want most of all in life. Um, he says this in John's gospel. I love this phrase. At one point he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay, what's, what's he saying? My, this is my food. He's saying, the thing that satisfies me most, the thing that feeds my soul most is actually not bread, though I need that. But the thing that satisfies me most is doing what God wants me to do. That's my that's priority number 1. That's what nourishes me. That's what satisfies me is obeying my father. And so I'm not going to do this. But you know every day of Jesus public ministry, he is going to be faced with this question what satisfies my soul most. I mean, I want you to just picture for a second. Every day when Jesus wakes up in his public ministry, there's going to be crowds waiting for him, there's going to be opponents wanting to take him down, there's going to be decisions to be made, and every single morning he has to ask the question, what satisfies me most? My comfort? My reputation? My safety, right? My desires or simply doing what my father wants me to do? And every time we find ourselves in a wilderness experience, it confronts us with this question. What is going to satisfy me most? My comfort? My desires? My solving, providing relief? Or is it going to be, you know what, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he asks me to do, even if this keeps going. That's temptation number one. The temptation to feed ourselves, to provide for ourselves, to take matters into our own hands, All right, temptation number two. Any of you ever had that first temptation? No, no. Temptation number two, verse five. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Okay, so Satan's offering him something. We might debate whether or not he actually has that to offer him. I think there's enough in Scripture to say in some sense that's true. That is his to offer in some sense. Um, but I, what I want us to hear in this temptation is this. Satan is not offering Jesus something that Jesus doesn't want. Like, Jesus wouldn't respond to this like, the world, the nations, what's that to me? I don't care about that. Like, he's, he is offering him something that Jesus really wants. Actually, which is the thing that Jesus came for. It's his, his destiny to receive these things. So um, Psalm 2 is a great messianic song, Psalm talking about the coming of the king and, and God's promise to the, mess, the Messiah is this. The Lord said to me, speaking to the Messiah, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession, okay? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. It is his destiny to receive the nations of the world. It is his desire to rule over the nations of the world. So Satan is offering him something that he really wants. And here's the temptation. This thing that you want so much, I can give it to you. And I can give it to you cheap and easy. I can give it to you right now. Like, just bow, worship me, and you can have it right now. I can give it to you a way that's so much easier and better than the way your father has for you. He's got this way of sacrifice, service, suffering, and death. I don't make people suffer the way your father makes people suffer. That's not the kind of guy I am. Okay? So just bow to me, and you can have it, and you can have it now you see the temptation it's, it's this temptation to to compromise his heart's allegiance and worship but to get a really good thing something that he desperately wants it's sort of an the ends justifies the means sort of temptation and I was thinking this week, I feel like in some ways this is a particularly poignant temptation in our day and age. Jesus is being offered fame and power and wealth here. And we, we live just in a world where these things are part of just the, the air we're breathing, right? It's this celebrity kind of culture where um, we're always being pushed to for, for more reputation and more influence and more wealth and prestige and making a name for ourselves, it's just part of life. And so these, these temptations especially can be, can be compelling. They can be compelling in, the, in, our, in our marketplace you know, world where there's, there's these things that we maybe could make happen, but it would require compromise. <laughs> so there's you know, ways of moving up in a company that would, and yet there would be this fundamental compromise that we'd have to make. Uh, churches are not at all immune to this sort of thing, there are, there are things that churches wanna see happen in their communities, but they, they go about in ways that are so not the ways of Jesus to try to, to, try to get there. But the essence is com- compromising, my, my heart's allegiance. I, I have to make some compromise in order to get something that I really want. It might even be a good thing that I want. Jesus responds in verse eight. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy in the experience of, of Israel in the wilderness. And you guys know the story, most of you, where they got out into the wilderness. Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he was gone for 40 days. And they're sitting there in the middle of nowhere without their leader, wondering where God is. And they're like, where's, where, where's what's going on? We're in trouble. Who's going to get us to the promised land? And they thought, let's make gods for ourselves who can get us to the place that we want to get to. It's a good place we're going and we don't know where Moses has gone so let's make gods for ourselves and they made the golden calf and worshiped the golden calf hoping that that would secure you know, their journey to the promised land. And Jesus says to Satan, I'm not going to make that compromise. I'm not going to compromise my heart and my worship of, of my father in order to get the thing I want. That's not who I am. Okay? Well, I mean, For me to gain, gain the world and, and lose my soul, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I was thinking of that that statement he makes in Mark's gospel. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Like if you get the things you want, but you compromise your heart in the process, that's a horrible, that's a horrible profit. But wilderness times challenges, I think, raise this question for us. Like what is First and foremost on my mind, is it the result? Is it getting this thing worked out in the way I want? Is that all of my focus? Or is my focus on my soul (laughs) through this process? God, what are you doing? How can I worship you? How can I maintain my devotion to you through this painful experience? All right, temptation number three. Verse nine, I think this one's the most subtle and and in some ways I think maybe even the most um, relevant when when you hear it, but it takes a little thinking. All right, verse nine, Uh, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Clearly, you know, he's taking Jesus, he's sort of transporting Jesus into these places, giving him some of these experiences, these interesting almost visions, I think. Although this one, it seems like he's actually at the temple. Uh, He takes him to the temple If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he quotes Psalm 91, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in your hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. All right, so what is the temptation there? Jump from the, t- the temple. Let me, I think this is what it is. He takes him to a very interesting place, the temple, which is the place of God's protection and God's blessing, God's presence. He takes him to a very interesting passage in Scripture, Psalm 91, which is also about God's protection and provision and blessing. Let me give you a couple lines from this, this psalm. You'll recognize it, some of you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge." A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come near to you. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. If all we ever had in Scripture was Psalm 91, we'd kind of be led to think like that bad things don't happen to Jesus' followers. Like God just protects his people. No, no bad things will happen. So, so uh, Satan is drawing on this, these, these images of God's protection and care. And here's the temptation, okay? Um, If you're the son of God, Jesus, well then, God's supposed to love you and care for you and protect you. I know that God said he loves you, you know, 40 days ago. He he said it, but gosh, that that voice has got to sound real dim now, 40 days later, when all the evidence of that is gone. If I were you, I'm not you, Jesus, but if I were you, I'd be wondering if God loves me. I'd be wondering if God really cares for me. Well, there's a way to find out. (laughs) Jump. Jump jump and the scriptures say he loves you and if you jump he'll rescue you. you won't fall on the ground and then you'll know that he loves you like you'll be able to see it in your experience you'll have a concrete sign God really loves me irrefutable you won't have to rely on his words you'll actually be able to see it and you'll feel it in your bones because you'll you can look at your circumstances and go yep God clearly really likes me that's the temptation, is to, tr- is to in the midst of, of challenges, is to try to define God's love by our circumstances. And going to our circumstances to say, this is what love would look like, God. If you loved me, you would provide in this way, and you'd protect in this way, and you'd do this in this way. That's, that's how I would know if you love me. Do you feel that? It, it's... it's it's needing our circumstances to go a certain way in order to believe, God, you, you actually do love me. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy, verse 12. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus saying that might look like an act of faith. That's actually just putting God to the test. It's, it's, it's demanding that God work on my terms. God, you got to work this way, or I don't think you're a loving God. And, of course, Jesus is echoing. That's exactly what Israel did throughout the wilderness. Time and time again, Exodus through Deuteronomy says, and they tested God, right? They get out into the wilderness, and their circumstances looked bad. There's no food out here. There's tons of us. There's no food. Why did you bring us out into the wilderness, God, to make us starve to death? He provides manna, right? There's no water. Lord! Why did you bring us out in the wilderness to make us die of thirst? He provides water, right? They face enemies. Lord, why did you bring us out here to make us die from the sword? He rescues them every time they're testing him. God, this is what it needs to look like for us to trust you. The famous passage is Exodus 17, where they test God for water. And the passage ends this way. Fascinating passage. And he called the place Massah, which means testing, because the Israelites tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's what Israel always said. God, are you here or not? doesn't look like it. If you were here, this is what it would look like. You'd do this and this and this. And if you're not going to do this, then apparently you're not with us or you're just not a loving God. And that is such a profound temptation, right? In the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of sustained challenges in life, of looking to our circumstances to define God's love. Rather than looking to his word, which says, you're my children, I love you, I'm with you, I will never forsake you, I am working in all things for your good, rather than trusting that, saying, no, no, no. God, we need it to look like this, this, and this. This is what love would look like. And if this isn't here, then are you with us or not? Are you among us or not? And I think, you know, I think this this is how people lose the faith, some people that, that actually leave the faith. It's over this. It's not most of the time over intellectual questions about the existence of God, though it can be that. But it's often, it's, it's just the practical reality of life has not gone the way I wanted it to go. It's not, it hasn't gone the way that I deeply hoped it would go. There's deep, deep disappointments. And over time going, gosh, you're, you're not, a I mean, if you're there, you're not loving. And so I either don't believe in you or I'm not looking for God who loves people like that. That's that's the deep temptation. Jesus has to face that temptation, and his response is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, I'm not gonna test my God. And essentially, he's saying, "Jump." why would I need to do that? Like, why, why do I need, I already know. He's told me he loves me. He told me he's pleased with me. I'm going to believe that no matter what my circumstances say. I trust his word. I don't need to jump. I don't need to see that. Why would I need to do that? And by the way, my God is the living God of the universe. You don't put the living God of the universe to the test. He can test me if he wants. I'm not going to test him. I trust him. I trust his word. And the wilderness provides that opportunity to ask ourselves, will we trust in what he says in his word? Or will we require our circumstances to go a certain way? to believe that he loves us and is with us and will provide and protect us. So that's a lot, I know. And I hope and imagine that at least some of that, uh, I've lost control, there it is, okay, um, connects with us. Jesus emerges from the wilderness victorious. He has been tested and found faithful. He has been trained, his heart, he has learned obedience. He is ready for ministry. And so I want to just present him to you as, as we close. Not just as a God for whom all this stuff comes real easy, but as a man, as a human being like you and me, but one who at every turn is going to obey his father and trust his father and depend on his father and worship his father no matter what. He does it here. He'll do it every day of his life up to the point of his death. So behold him. Look at him. This is who he is. This is who our king is. And because of that, he is able to help us when we find ourselves in the wilderness. He's a faithful companion in the wilderness. He's been there, and he can walk with us in it. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. No, just the opposite we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are every way yet of course without sin and here's the here's the call for us let us then approach god's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need in our wilderness moments we can approach our savior confidently because he himself suffered when he was tempted he's able to help those who are being tempted and so that is the call this morning is to go to him whenever we find ourselves in those challenges he's been through it and he can walk us through it he can help us in our time of need amen okay so let's go to God in prayer right now and I'm going to lead us through a little time of prayer where we do just that we go to him because he can help us in whatever we're going through so let's go to him together would you bow your heads with me Um, As we go to God, why don't you again just identify what is the challenge or what is something you've, ideally something you're going through right now. Let's bring that to the Lord right now. And just as with Jesus, we can assume that in in these things, in the same event, God is going to have his purposes and there's going to be a dark voice, Satan, who would have his purposes. And so first, let's just ask ourselves um, before the Lord, Where is the temptation right now? In this challenge, where are you being tempted? You may be being—it might be that first temptation. You're being tempted to just do something that would create relief from this, that would just fix the problem, that but that would not be what God would have for you. Uh, It might be the temptation to make some compromise. Like that second temptation, that some, some compromise of your heart to get it, maybe even a good thing, but not in the way that God would want. Or maybe the temptation is, is, is that third temptation, is, your, is to distrust that God is in this with you. To, to start feeling like he's just punishing you, he's out to get you. Or it could be some other temptation, but why don't you take a moment, like for you specifically, what is the temptation? And confess it, just acknowledge it before Jesus. Take a moment to do that right now. And with Jesus as this faithful companion who we can trust ultimately has, has good for us in this. Not that the things we're in are good, but that he has good in it for us. And What do you need from him right now? And pray, just ask him, what do, you, what do you think you need in this challenge? It might be, maybe you want something circumstantial. You want him to do something, to act in a certain way, to move in a person, to, um, to fix something. And that's, those are great requests. So what, what, are the, what do you want him to do circumstantially right now? Take a minute to ask him. And then even deeper than that, what, what do you need spiritually from him? Regardless of the circumstance changing, what do, you, do you need to be encouraged? Do you need courage? Do you need his comfort? Do you need his peace? Do you need perspective? Do you need uh, guidance? Do you need his joy to surprise you? Do you need patience? What, what do you need spiritually To be the person who can walk through this faithfully. Ask him for that. Lord, there are various challenges in this room. There are challenges with marriages and with families. There's challenges at work. There's challenges in our finances. There's health challenges. There's relational challenges. There's emotional challenges. Lord, in all of that, would you be our shepherd? Would you walk with us? Provide exactly what we need that we might draw closer to you through this, that these things would bring us closer, not farther from you. You know what that is for each one of us. So we pray, grant us the very things we need right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.